Hey, good morning. Hey, if you are new, I'm Charlie, uh, the lead pastor here. I'm really glad that you are worshiping with us today. And we are in the middle of a study. We're kind of walking through the book of 2 Timothy. And to kind of give you a little background, uh, Paul is the guy who wrote this letter. He's this missionary. He's going around to all these places that don't know about Jesus, tell them about Jesus. And then he kind of these churches, he would kind of start these churches and very often would leave one of his kind of one of his protégés there to kind of take over and kind of lead them. And Paul would continue on doing missionary stuff. So we got one of these guys, Timothy, who is, um, who is in Ephesus. And Paul's kind of left him there. And he's been there for a while. And now Paul has been arrested and is about to be executed. And so there's just a lot of fear amongst the Christians around. Like, you know, and, and so it's very discouraging. People are like kind of starting to drift away from the faith. And the worry is, is that Timothy's faith is starting to drift too, in part because of just kind of these circumstances, kind of, I mean, if, you know, I don't want to get arrested or it's really discouraging to see your mentor in prison. But then there's also some divisive people that have kind of shown up in the church and having to deal with that is also very discouraging for him too. And so we see Timothy, because of these different circumstances, slowly start to kind of drift from his faith. So I've been thinking, you know, this whole time we've been doing this series about these different things in my own life that have kind of been, you know, times that have kind of led me to kind of question whether or not any of this is real or you know, I've been around you, know, you guys enough. We've, we talk and I'm collecting some of your stories and there's just all sorts of different reasons, things for us. While we may not be pastors in Ephesus, there are, there's circumstances around us that will discourage us or maybe people that kind of insert themselves into our life at certain times and because of, our, because of who they are and what they're saying, it kind of, again, makes us kind of slowly drift. I was thinking about some of these moments for me personally. Again, it just, it just kind of ultimately had me questioning everything. Like once I left my, like there was things that happened to me in the church I grew up in that got me as soon as I kind of left home, had me questioning everything because something about it just didn't feel right. And I think I've, I've told some of these stories before. I don't know if I've told this one on Sunday before, but um, I, I, I was the younger of two brothers and my brother was six years older than me. So we had an interesting relationship, you know. It's like he's six years older than me. He's my older brother. So I, I idolized him for a long time. But, like, once he hit teenage years, like, he's 16 and I'm 10. He didn't really want to have much to do with me. So then you kind of move into to pester mode, right, to try to just get some attention from your, from your big brother. And so I remember he goes on this youth trip to Fort Walton. Now, I don't know how many of you are old enough or kind of put all this together, but... If you were from Arkansas and you go to Fort Walton in the 1980s, there is one place you must go and you have to get some merch. And it's a place called the Hog's Breath Saloon. It's not in Fort Walton anymore. It's too bad. But it was a place because one, it says hog, right? You got to get your shirt that says hog on it. And it's, you know, it's edgy. It's got saloon on it, right? So anyway, the Hog's Breath Saloon, right? hog's breath is better than no breath at all or whatever. So my brother on this youth trip, they go to Fort Walton. And the part of the story that doesn't make any sense to me, but is irrelevant to kind of the point that I'm trying to make, is how they ended up at the hog's breath saloon on the, on the, on the, on the church youth trip. Because we were not that kind of church, right? But anyways, my brother comes back from this trip. And not only does he have one of these shirts, he got 
me one. And I'm telling you, that just made me so happy. Like my brother was on a trip having fun and he thought of me and brought something back to me. I was just elated. I wore this shirt at every possible opportunity because it meant so much to me. And I remember one Sunday night, I had this shirt on and I wore it to church. Now, I don't know if you're already connecting the dots on where this, where this story is going, but me, 10 years old, what did I know? And we're sitting there at church on Sunday night and I get this little tap on my shoulder. And I'm like, yes, and it's this, this older lady in our church and she goes, well, I guess you forgot where you were going tonight, didn't you? And I'm 10, I'm 10, maybe 11. I'm like, no idea what she's talking about. <laughs> and so I turn around and I'm just, I mean, I'm, now I'm just nervous and anxious. Like what, what, what have I done? What, what have I done to make, again, it's my brain. What have I done to make myself not worthy of being here right now? And, you know, my 10, 11 year old brain is trying, desperately trying to catch up with this and can't. And then finally it hits me. I am wearing a shirt that has the word saloon on it at church on a Sunday night. And I was, and again, I was a little embarrassed, but it really probably wasn't until years later that I kind of like caught up, like there's just something really wrong with that, right? Kids, the kid's 10, he's 10. This is also the same place where, um, during one of my little Wednesday night, this is an elementary school too, this little, with this Wednesday night kind of guys, you know, boys kind of class. And this lady comes in and is like, today we're going to talk about the Bible. I'm like, that's cool. I like the Bible. Let me tell you some things about the Bible. If you put the Bible on the ground, that's sin. If you put your Bible under your arm and something's on top of it, that's sin. You put your Bible on the table, you put your notebook on it, that's sin. You flip the pages too fast, that's sin. You get dirt on your Bible and that is sin. And I'm, again, maybe I'm 12 at this point. And I remember sitting here thinking, like, I don't know what this lady's talking about, but this is ridiculous. Like, like if, if, you're, if your Sunday school teaching or whatever is making 12-year-olds go, lady, you don't know what you're talking about, you got, you got problems, right? But the interesting thing, what, this kind of puts some pieces together for those of you who have heard that story. There was this other place, out. there's this place outside that was kind of, kind of, it was kind of lower, it was kind of hidden. It was basically, it was the place you could go, you could hide, right, if you wanted to hide. Like, why not anybody would want to go to church and try to hide for some reason, but we're, we often found ourselves trying to hide. The interesting thing is, we, we, we would go hide there, and, and this lady's husband, he would often be found smoking there, which, um, I mean, you know, he, put, he put a lot of pieces together, but we had, we had, a, we had, a, we had an arrangement. We got a, a kind of an unspoken arrangement. I'm, you don't tell my parents why and where we're hiding, Tell your wife or anybody else where I'm where you're hiding, bro. And so we had a, we had a we had a we had a mutually assured destruction cold war. I don't know what you would call that, but anyways. And I'm telling you, then like just being around that, even though it felt normal at the time, I knew there was something wrong with it. And at my first opportunity, I kind of was like, I don't I don't want any more to do with this. And my heart and my faith slowly began to drift. And I would not imagine that my, my, my story might have some unique details to it, but my guess is my story is not unique in this room. 
of people who've had some encounter with people who claim to represent God in some way. And based on what they say, the way that they say it, the way that they live, there's something about it that's just like, it's gross. I don't want anything to do with that. And it's either discouraging in some way or it's frustrating in some way. And regardless, your faith starts to drift. And now we've, we've spent some time kind of talking about with Timothy. Timothy's faith's been drifting. And Paul, first thing he says to him is like, man, you need to understand Focus on the gospel. Focus on what Jesus did for you. If you focus on what Jesus did for you, there's power there. There's power to overcome. And you need to guard and protect that. Focus on that. Like Paul's desperately trying to get Timothy to not think about the circumstances. That, that I'm in jail, that, that I might die. That I was thinking, All these people, all these other people. You just focus on what Jesus did for you and the power of the gospel in your life. Because there's power there. And then the first part of chapter two, Mark was here and he was talking about, and, and remember the mission. If you think about this thing that God has done in you and then how God has called you to take what God has given you and give it away. If you will focus on the gospel and what it's done for you and focus on, on what he's called you to, which is to take what God has given you and give it to other people, that's where your heart needs to be. And then last week, we kind of get introduced really for the first time in this letter, the people that are starting that are discouraging. And we find out that there's some, there's some false teachers that are kind of roaming around. And, and, and they're telling people false things about, about, about the resurrection, telling people wrong things about who Jesus is. And it's frustrating because you know, people, are, people are following that. And it's, and it's frustrating to Timothy as a pastor and as a leader. And it's also just, just generally discouraging. And Paul's advice to him was like, don't let, them, don't let them get you into these arguments. Don't, be, don't, don't, let them, don't, don't argue with them. Just speak the truth to them. And he tells them, like, you just, you stand firm in, in, in God's word and God's truth. You believe, you focus on making sure you know who God is. You know what the gospel is. And try not to give them much attention. Now he's about to explain this even further, this idea about how to deal with people like this, even further in 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Now we'll just take a little pause here, have a little lesson. Last days, you hear that phrase, you might think it's like, like this is what's going to happen right before the end, like for the end of the world. You hear, you hear last days or something like that in the Bible, it's what you think. Well, let's just make sure we kind of understand. If you think about the Bible, the story of the Bible is kind of all like on a timeline. You've got creation. You kind of got these, these kind of these major changes in the way that God is kind of interacting with his people. You've got Noah and the flood story. I don't know if you know that story. You've got God choosing Abraham to kind of be the, 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 the founder of the Jewish people. You've got Moses taking people out of Egypt. You've got going to the promised land. You've got all these prophets and then at the very end, you got all these kind of these, these, these and then at the end of the Old Testament, it says, hey, and the next thing that's going to happen, the next really big thing that's going to happen is this prophet's going to come and he's going to say the Messiah's right behind him. And so then that happens with Jesus. And then what Jesus says, hey, essentially the next thing that's going to happen is when I'm going to come back and, and then the world's going to end. And so that moment kind of marks the beginning of the last days, kind of the last era, if you will. So it's not necessarily about 
we're really close to the end of the end, but this is the last, this is the last chapter. You know, and some of these chapters are really long. This chapter is, is really long. It's not about, so, and it's going to be important because he's not talking about something that's going to happen in the future. He's talking about a present reality for Timothy, which then is also a present reality for us. And that will become more clear here in just a second. Again, there's going to be terrible times in the last days, which is right now, which we're in. Right now in these last days, there's going to be terrible times. Verse 2. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. So again, him saying, don't have anything to do with these kinds of people, is him basically saying, this is a present reality for you, Timothy. I'm not talking about something that's going to happen in the future for you. This is, this is true for you right now. These people are around you, and, and, and they're doing, they have this sort of attitude, and you, you want, again, don't have anything to, to do with these people. And again, we're going we're gonna to get more specific about really who he's talking about. Verse 6. They are the, and again, I, I guess I need to pause it. This, you're going to look at me weird when I read this next part. But I just need your mind, I didn't write it. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Again, he's talking about, he's not just talking about that they're going to be people who are generally sinful in these ways. There's going to be people who are boastful, people who are prideful, people who are angry, people who are divisive. He's not simply talking about, he's talking about a very specific type of person. And again, this thing about, hey, they're the kind of people who worm their way into gullible women's house and kind of deceive them and kind of take advantage of them. That's way too specific a thing for him to not be referencing something that actually happened. Because everything up until this point, he's just kind of talking about these general characteristics. Like, and it's like these guys in particular, the people who will do this. And again, a very, a very real story, a very real and present story. There are people, there are deceivers, there are teachers that are, that are teaching false things. And this phrase that Paul uses to describe them, they have, they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. There's something about what they're saying. It has... It has characteristics of God's truth. It has something to do that is trying to point you towards God, but it lacks, it lacks real power. And then what they are, what they end up being, they're really divisive and they're boastful and they're proud and they think that they're great. And obviously they're really manipulative because they will go into women's homes, people who are overwhelmed and burdened by some real problems and stresses in their life, and they will take advantage of them and manipulate them most likely take, take advantage of them sexually. I mean, these are the kinds of people that we're talking about. He says, don't have anything to do with these people. Verse eight, verse seven, always learning. This is, this is always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. They like, they like oh, I'm learning, I'm, I'm studying, I'm reading. I'm, I, I know all of these things, but no matter how much they learn, they can't quite get to where they're supposed to go, to really understanding the truth. Again, a form of godliness, but without really understanding the power. 
And just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because as is in the case of, these, of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. So Paul's describing these people, these people who, tend, who at least say that they represent God, they talk like they represent God. And then there's a, there's a form of godliness, I guess, to what they're saying. It, 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 bring, it, has, it, has, it has essence of some things that are true about God, but without its real power. They're arrogant people. They're prideful people. They're divisive. They're manipulative. And Paul says, this last day is going to be filled, filled with these types of people. And you don't, need, you don't need to know about Paul's specific example of people who are manipulative. You don't need Paul's specific example to think of examples of your own, of people who say that they are representing God in some way, who are, who are teaching about God, but in fact are lovers of money. People who say that they are teaching about God, but in fact they are incredibly prideful and boastful and arrogant. We don't need Paul. We, 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 have, we have stories like this. And the, these people's presence and Timothy's life and in his church is really discouraging to him. And I'll say this to you that I don't know this will be encouraging at all, but at least it's true. People like this, deceivers, they've always been with us. People like this have always been around. This is not a new phenomenon that we're experiencing. People like this who like to manipulate God's word, manipulate who God is, manipulate the gospel, manipulate Jesus in order to kind of conform to something else. These people have always been around. But I love this phrase the form of godliness, but they deny its power. So if I think about the people that are, that are telling me that telling, you know, elementary age kids that they can't wear shirts that say saloon on it because it also happens to have a hog logo on it. You know, you, you can't put your Bible on the ground. People who have this kind of rules-based religion, if you really want to please God, you got to follow these rules. You follow these rules, God's going to be pleased with you. There's a form of godliness in that. God wants me to be a good person, right? Hey, but, there's, but it denies the power, the power of the gospel. The gospel is this. Jesus Christ died for you so that you, so that he could do the work inside of you to change you, to transform you. Not so that you could then follow some rules. Rule, when, you, when you have a religion that focuses on rules, you become the one who has the ability to change yourself. You have to do it. And that is denying the power of the gospel. We don't want anything to do with that, people who teach that kind of stuff. But here's the unfortunate thing that I think has happened. And I've seen this way too often in the last 10 to 12 years that I've been here. People who see that, they see that clearly for what it is. And I don't want anything to do with that. And they drift away. They allow it to discourage their faith and not allow them to let it take them to a place of really understanding the power of the gospel. But they drift right past that to over here, which is, you know what? God loves you just as you are. You're fine just as you are. All your instincts, what you want to do, who you are, everything about you is good. So don't let anybody tell you anything different. There's a form of godliness there. God does love you unconditionally. God does love you unconditionally. But sin 
has caused a problem between you and God. And there is the power of the gospel. It has a form of godliness, but it denies the power of the gospel, the need of the gospel, the need of you, of all of us to, to confess sin, to trust in Jesus so that, again, that he can transform us, that we can then have life. We can be made new. God does want me to live differently. God does love me unconditionally. But when you live in these kind of isolated camps, you have a form of godliness, but you deny the power of the gospel, which is God loves you unconditionally, but he wants to save you. He wants to redeem you. And it is only through what Jesus did that you can live the life God's called you to. Not through you kind of figuring it out on your own, working really hard and following the rules. Because both of these things are about what you can do. You're fine just as you are. If you work hard enough, you can be good enough. And both of those things in their way have just a sniff of godliness to them. But they deny the power, the real power of the gospel. And so we typically have allowed ourselves with a bad experience with one of these groups to take us into the arms of the other one rather than really embracing the real form of godliness that has the power of the gospel. And very often, the one that we reject, we can see people like this. I reject this. Now I'm over here. And I can see it really, really clearly. I see it really clearly when it's them. But in what I, maybe I've allowed myself to become by drifting from here to here or from here to here. I can no longer see that maybe that's true of me or maybe that's true of the people that I'm listening to. But here's what Paul says. Hey, there's going to be people like this. People like this right now in your life, Timothy, and for the entirety of the last days, there are going to be people like this that are going to try to make you religious in some way, but without the power of the gospel. And it's very simple answer to this. Avoid them. Avoid these people. I mean, Paul's been giving advice. I mean, you've got these people that are, that are, that are teaching these things. So you want to avoid them. You see, and earlier we talked about last week, you want to gently correct them, but you don't want to let them draw you into their arguments. And here he just says, avoid them. Now I want to make sure that we're really clear about something. What we are not taking away, this is not our Grove Church takeaway, that, hey, listen, if you know anybody who is a lover of themselves, a lover of money, boastful, proud, slanderous, you know, conceited, lovers of pleasure. If you know anybody like that, you need to avoid them entirely. Because if that were our application, I think we all know what would happen, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't make it home, right? You wouldn't be able to make it home. You wouldn't be able to go to work tomorrow. You wouldn't hang out with your neighbors. I mean, there's, there's no, everyone, everyone struggles with something on this list. But what he's talking about, he's talking specifically about teachers, people who are teaching a false gospel that lacks the real power, the real power of the gospel, and people who have this, 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 this sort of arrogant, prideful attitude, they're in it for the money, they're in it for themselves, and they're, and, and they're taking people away from the real truth and the power, of, avoid those people, avoid these teachers and the way, that, the way that Paul's going to describe it at the very end of the book, and I think it's this, the section that, that, um, that Mark's going to teach on, 
uh, he says they, they like to tickle your ear. And so it's just kind of like they just kind of get in your ear and they go, hey, oh, that was real. Oh, mm, that's just, that's, mm, that's sweet. That's, that is just what I wanted to hear today. Thank you so much. Just, just a little flitter. Not ever going to be challenged. Not ever going to hear anything I don't want to hear. Telling me exactly what I want to hear. And we do this. You've heard me rant about this before. We've been here even at least more than once. This is what we do with our politics, right? I only listen to my uh, radio stations. I only watch my cable news shows. I only read my newspapers. And every time I read them, every time I listen, they confirm to me the truth that you're all idiots and me and my team, we're number one. It's never our fault. It's always their fault. No, I didn't say that wrong. I didn't do that wrong. It was not our policy's fault. It's their fault. They're the ones, they're the ones that are corrupt, right? This is kind of how we live. And this, this is what these people are. We got to avoid them. You say, well, how can I avoid them? I'll give you a couple things. One, we talked about it last week. It's very clear. It's very important. Paul says this. You need to rightly handle God's word, rightly handling God's truth. You need to be someone who is not figuring out what you believe, but figuring out what God's word says, word says, rightly handling it. And if you find yourself reading, studying, listening, and there's not ever a moment where you feel uncomfortable, not one moment where you feel like your worldview is being challenged in some way, maybe take a step back. Because again, a very thoughtful person in this room might be like, all right, we got to avoid wrong teachers. How do we know you ain't one? A great question. Figure it out. Study God's word. Go back. I, just go back. Read all of this. Study all of this. And come back and tell me, no, you didn't get it, man. That's not what, that's, that's not what this means. Be someone who knows God's word. But I also want to say, be someone who is willing to be challenged. Some of the best books by pastors, some of the best podcast sermons I've listened to are people who I know I already disagree with them a little bit. They disagree with them on some things, but they're also probably going to be right about some things that I'm wrong about. And I do not want to be someone who just, oh, you're great. Everything's great. Isn't, isn't it great that we finally figured out how to do God perfectly? as opposed to those people in that church over there and all that nonsense that they teach? That's not who we're going to be. We, we, we want to be people who have a real form of godliness that recognizes the power of the gospel. Not that I can do this by my own rules or not that I'm fine just the way that I am, but that I need Jesus in a real way for forgiveness and life and reconciliation with God, and then also to live the life that God has called me to. And these deceivers, they're always around. They're always going to be pulling us in one of these two directions. And we need to avoid them. And then ultimately, also just don't, don't be like them. I mean, it's just kind of as simple as an application of a Bible passage can be. When you hear a list of things that bad people are doing, you should always look at that list and be like, I don't want to do those things. And I think you'll see this if you study through the New Testament. You'll see Paul giving out these lists of kind of, and the, the deeds of the, the flesh are evident. Blah, 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 blah. And people who are without God, they're like this. Da, 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 da. And here we've got, you know, there's going to be difficult times. And here's how people are going to be. And they're going to be like this. 
I think it's really important because I think this is another way of kind of saying like, making sure my heart and my mind are in the right place. In what way am I like this? That's probably if you read through this, read, just read through those verses on your own, there's probably going to be a couple of those that jump out at you. That little things that where your heart tends to go. But when our heart goes to one of these places, it's when it moves us away from the power of the gospel. I, I can't help. I just can't help it. I, anytime I read one of these lists and I hear proud, boastful, conceited, this is something that and I don't want to use a past tense verse, past, a past tense verb here. Maybe I use a present progressive. Something I have been struggling with my whole life. Thinking that I'm smart enough, good enough. I know it. And because I know it, it makes me somehow special. When it is the gospel, it is the gospel that is special. It is what Jesus has done for me. That's, that's what matters. And when I begin to think about myself, when I begin to think about how good I think I am, I drift away from the power of godliness. And I, and I have a form, and it says that if I'm smart enough, I can be good enough, and God will love me. But it denies the power of the gospel. You may be a lover of pleasure, you may be unforgiving. And abusive. You may be someone who just has a lot of anger. Yeah, I just got a lot of anger, but it's a lot of anger at the right kinds of people. And with that as a type of arrogance, which again makes you think that you are better than someone else, and it denies the power of the gospel, which it is only by the saving work, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that I can have the life that I do that I have been forgiven, that I can be who he's called me to be. I do not want to have a form of godliness that tells me that I can do it by myself. And I want to avoid people who are going to tell me these things, but instead embrace the power of the gospel and not live like this and recognize that if I want to be who God has called me to be, it is gonna be when I trust fully in Jesus Christ and what he did for me on the cross. Let's pray. God, there is, there's just so much out there. People claiming to represent you, writing books, preaching sermons that are teaching that salvation is by what you do. Are teaching that we don't really need salvation in the first place. And God, I pray that we would, we would reject that. We would avoid that. And God, not let our hearts be turned in that direction. That we would never think that life, holiness, goodness, purpose, meaning, love, joy, peace can be found any other place than in the power of the gospel and what your son Jesus Christ did for us. God, protect us from having forms of godliness, 
but not truly trusting the power of what your son Jesus Christ did for us. But let that sink deeply in us so that we would not ever drift in our faith. We would not be discouraged, but trusting and embracing in the power of the gospel of your son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.